and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, just be Allie and I hanging out, having a couple of cocktails, and talking about women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Lynn Cullen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Lynn is an acclaimed historical novelist who writes stories that celebrate women whose accomplishments have often been overlooked. And today she's here to speak with us about her latest book, The Woman with the Cure, a historical novel about Dr. Dorothy Hortzman. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, I have been writing for a long time. My, I've, I have a new logo. I've <laughs> It's trademarked. No, it's not. I'm just, uh, I just made it up. And I call it setting herstory straight since 2008. Because <laughs> I have been at this a long time. And all my books tend to do with overlooked women in history. That they're not just overlooked, but their history has been gotten wrong. And this has just interested me since, well, forever. And um, it's such a dream, such a joy to be able to spend my life uh, doing this because I, I just absolutely love writing and history and yeah. they just go together so well. Yeah. We, we couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Perfect. Well, we're so excited to talk about your book, but first we have to talk about the cocktail we made for your book. Oh, um, obviously called the woman with the cure. So it is an ounce and a half of coconut rum, a half ounce of lime juice, a fourth of an ounce of absinthe, and you top the whole thing off with tonic. And it has this lovely kind of green shade to it that I felt kind of seemed medical. <laughs> I love it. I love I want to serve it at book clubs. That's a fabulous <laughs> idea. Perfect. Mm. To cure whatever ails you, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Okay, so before we dive too far into your book, we always like to set the scene for our listeners. So you can you tell us a little bit about who Dorothy is and what time period she was living in? Okay, um, well, the book is about the race for the polio vaccine. And, um, you know, most people hear about that, about uh, Albert Sabin and Jonas Salk going at it. But, you know... They were just two people. They were they were the ones who got the limelight. There are a lot of people, and amazingly, um, women made some of the major contributions to finding the polio vaccine and also treating. And you know, just uh, they they just made so many advances in polio, and you just don't hear about them. And uh, the one who caught my attention uh, was Dorothy Horseman, and her discovery is the one she figured out just in a nutshell, she figured out how polio worked in the body. It took them decades and decades. There was, there was about 40 years of polio summers because polio usually struck in the summertime and it struck children. It's, it's such a devastating, cruel disease. And she was determined that she was going to figure it out. And she was given no encouragement whatsoever to figure out how to beat polio on her own volition. She um, kept working at trying to figure out how polio worked in the body. And she had a real stake in this because her one of her jobs through Yale, she was employed by Yale, was the Yale Polio Study Unit. And she traveled all around the world and, of course, the U.S. Like, she was the main person who did this um, to 
to each of the outbreaks. And she was so familiar with, you know, the devastation it wrought in families and, um, you know, gosh, it claimed children. It was so terrible. And, and young parents. Um, and as far as the time period, this was, it started in actually the first epidemic, uh, was in 1916 and it just got worse over time so that by the 50s polio was feared um just just slightly less than the atomic bomb you know you you know you've heard of people in their bomb shelters and stuff in the 50s well the other thing on their mind which is totally lost to us now because of the vaccine taking care of it but the thing on their mind was polio people were terrified of it and rightly so And so how did you find Dr. Dorothy? I'm so curious because, you know, obviously, as you know, you specialize in women who have been forgotten. So where did you find her? (laughs) You know, it wasn't easy because she's just barely mentioned in the polio books. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the important books on polio just either don't mention her at all or there's just a brief mention. I found her more online on uh, websites uh, about, you know, trying to bring women into the light and and uh, reading about her um, because I was looking really hard for someone to represent, you know, like to tell the story of the polio race. I was looking for this woman and, you know, it, it took a little doing finding her. So um, I'm hoping that this book corrects that, that everybody will know of her discovery and The book, you know, when you said, is it women or women with the cure? You were on to something because uh, she's the narrator and I love her and want to follow her story. But it's the story of so many different women from different walks of life and their contributions. And they weren't by any means, they weren't all scientists. Um, They were mothers. They were uh, secretaries. They were nurses. You know, there were people who were, um, you know, it doesn't seem like they were making contributions, but they were. Everybody was needed. Yeah. And you, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the scope of polio. And I think, you know, because we don't even get polio vaccines pretty much anymore because of the vaccine. Can you tell us a little bit about how large and scary this was and why people were so scared? Because I, I think we often forget about the iron lung and the paralysis and like things that were really terrifying. Right. Well, uh, first, I have to say, actually, I bet you guys did get polio vaccines. Everybody still gets them. Babies get them. In fact, you get the um, you get the the kind that Salk um, came up with. Every 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 baby, like it's you know the first set of shots that babies get. Um, and when you were a baby, you get it's a, the DPT. Wait a minute, pertussis. That's pertussis. You get a um, uh, it's a shot now. Mm. Early on, and it's, so it's not like the one that was like on your arm that leaves like the little scar anymore, right? <laughs> no, that's smallpox, and you're right about that. Oh, okay. no, you're not the first one to get them confused. I think <laughs> many, many, many people do, it, but that was smallpox, and no, nobody needs those anymore. In fact, I don't know what the cutoff is, but you can tell a person's age by if they have the scar or not. <laughs> um, but polio, yes, we still all need those. Um, but because they are successful, we don't know about polio. So what what has been lost to us is how ugly it was. It um, uh, 
Now, it's it's sort of like COVID in the fact that a lot of people get it and aren't horribly sick. Most people, a lot of people didn't even know they had polio, but um, others would get paralyzed and others would be paralyzed to the point that it was permanent and um, uh, others died. And it struck only young people from mothers, dads, whatever, you know, young parents on down to babies. So um, I remember my my mom uh, being so afraid of polio, even though I was born after when uh, I got one of those sugar cube vaccines that uh, I talk about in the book. And, um, you know, so the the risk of polio had, was going down by the time I was around. But I remember her still being terrified of of her kids getting polio and uh, like you weren't allowed to go swimming in the summer and um, they kept kids indoors, you know, playgrounds just kind of were empty um, during outbreaks. Uh, it was because they didn't know what caused it. Mm. Uh, so people had all kinds of wild ideas, you know, um, like one lady uh, was sure that um, uh, it, that groundhogs caused it. Uh, <laughs> either beat, no, she said it's either beetles or groundhogs. It's one of those two. <laughs> And then some guy wrote in to say, you know what? I think dog manure cures it. And then, <laughs> and then there's another doctor in um, Germany who I think is Berlin. He was sure that the cure was to inject a person with their own urine. Never mind the headaches, the joint pain, the um, nausea that, you know, he, there's this whole horrible list of things that happen to you when you um, inject your own urine in your arm. But anyhow, he was sure that is uh that was secure. So they just didn't know. So it was kind of like COVID in the early days, how we had nothing and we had to be isolated. That was exactly how it was for polio, but just think it, that lasted for decades. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so funny how it, we're past that. We don't feel that pain at all that they felt, you know, um, but they were terrified of it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds terrible. And it's also shocking to me that, you know, things like that even spread without the internet. So (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on with that in the beginning of COVID. Um, But anyways, I would love to to talk all day of the urine ingestion, but (laughs) I do want to know more about Dr. Dorothy Hortzman because she sounds fascinating. And I wonder what was it like for her As a woman in the medical research field, what kind of discrimination did she face? What kind of hurdles did she have to jump over to get her work noticed? Well, she hardly could get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, She got got her MD. She was an English major. And then she she was so intrigued by how um, the new sulfa drugs, which were the first antibiotics, how they were curing people. And she just thought, I want in on this. This is really interesting. Seeing people who are devastated um, have a second chance. And so uh, she became a doctor. How? I don't know. She came from a very poor immigrant family. Uh, women hardly could get into medical school, let alone poor ones. How she finagled that? I don't know. But then she um, got her residency at Vanderbilt because she had sent in her CV. And I think she had um, phoned or whatever. She talked to the, the guy who did the hiring there at Vanderbilt and he'd forgotten because he was uh, re-looking at her great, um, you know, resume. And he said, okay, you've got the job. 
So when, and on her resume, it said DM Horseman. So when Dorothy Millicent Horseman walked in the door, <laughs> he killed, you know, he, he could hardly <laughs> believe it, but he kept her on. And she also had to talk her way into her, her next job, which was at Yale. Um, the, the guy hiring there said, you know, I hired a woman once and she did not work out. She was a real problem. So I'm not hiring women. You, you're wasting your time. And she said, you know, if a guy made a mistake, she wouldn't have said guy probably back then. She said, if the man made a mistake, would you not hire any more men after this for the next 50 years? Um, that, that was part of her quote. For the next 50 years, we do not hire men. And of course, you know, he he couldn't say anything. So he did hire her. So she had to, you know, fight for every position. She didn't get her uh, full professorship at Yale until she had a Nobel uh, Prize nomination. You know, it's just, she was passed over for things and including her research, which is really maddening because I, she had this hunch about the polio virus going through the body, um, passing through the bloodstream. They could not see that, but she, she found it in a sample and she was trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to find it again. Anyhow, if they had funded her and paid attention to her, it's a, possibility that um, they would have had a vaccine for polio 10 years earlier, which mm. is just devastating because the last 10 years were the years where it really picked up steam and tens of thousands of, of kids were paralyzed every year. Thousands died, you know, I mean, just because she was a woman and she was really well respected too, but um, she wasn't the top guy. So... <sighs> you know it's a shame yeah so now in a world where we are understanding of women doctors and praising women scientists why is she still kind of chopped out of this history and why is her information still so hard to find it's astounding isn't it yeah um but uh it's how it is. And that's why I have lots of work, you know, lots yeah. of things to uncover and make yeah. make known um, because of this. Yeah. yeah. History, history really uh, is not told. Yeah, it really isn't. And, you know, with this person that, you know, doesn't really have a lot on her, what were your sources like? Did you find letters that she wrote, documents, you know, what kind of things were you kind of digging into to get her story? Well, um, I did have some letters. Uh, a very good friend of mine was the an oral historian for the CDC. She's the one who kind of turned me on to the whole polio race. Mm -hmm. And um, she, in fact, she's, she's ended up um, writing a biography about Albert Sabin that will be coming out next year. Yale happens to be um, publishing that. Anyhow, uh, so she she kind of made me aware of uh, Albert Sabin's archives. And so I got letters between those two um, there. And of course, Dorothy's archives. And I, I looked at her papers, you know, just followed her many, many papers at, from the Yale archives. And um, I have a few uh, personal recollections from people who had met her um, that are still alive. Uh, of course, she, she died many, what, 2001, was it? Anyhow, um, uh, so just a cobbling together from different archives and letters and recollections and um, just trying to find the right medical books. 
her boss, John Paul, um, her, who was her mentor and who I, in my book and, and personally, I think was a little in love with her though. They would have been a very hilarious couple because he was very tiny and she was over six feet. So, oh um, <laughs> so anyhow, he, he wrote the book literally on polio. <laughs> he literally, it's polio is the name <laughs> of his book. And he's the source. It, this was written decades ago and he, he talks about her. So it just, it took some, some digging to find her. But, um, you know, you don't hear either of Isabel Morgan, who uh, was really um, Salk's vaccine. He just took her, her recipe, so to speak, and scaled it up. He kind of tweaked it and scaled it up. But it really should be the Morgan vaccine as opposed to the Salk vaccine. She got out of it because they were moving really fast. They didn't have Dorothy's uh, discovery yet to let them know exactly how polio worked in the body. And so Isabel Morgan was not comfortable and dropped out of the race uh, with, she didn't want to test on um, children, you know, with, since they didn't have quite enough information. So, and, and you know, I could tell you all kinds of women I, <laughs> that are really interesting in the field. Read the book. They're all in there for a lot of them. Yeah. So you said that you've been um, kind of writing books like this and doing research like this since around 2008. Can you tell us how your relationship with women's history has changed since then? How have you changed perspectives and what have you really learned? I tell you what, it's pretty, <laughs> you get to look at women in history and we've come a long way. We have a ways to go, but um, it's really frightening. Like I think back uh, some of my very first historical books books were um, for adults. I used to write for children too. But um, anyhow, the first ones were about the Spanish monarchy of all things. How I, I don't know how I went down that rabbit hole, but I did. And the, there was this queen, um, Juana the Mad, Juana la Loca. Um, people from Spain, everybody knows the legend of her. She was She's crazy. And they had to lock her up for, you know, decades and decades. So her first, her father, and then her husband, and then her son could rule for her because she was crazy. Well, from the uh, investigation that I did, I don't think she was crazy at all. But that was not common back then. If guys wanted the power, you just lock them up. Mm -hmm. So I, I just find that, you know, there are still things going on now. But, whoa, the things that were that were done to women. Um, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. Then what do you, th what do you want people to really take away from the story of Dr. Dorothy Horseman? You know, what do you want them to walk away thinking and feeling when they learn about this woman who they should have known about all along? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it became, I didn't realize this till after I wrote the book. This is how it always is. I finish a book and about six months later, I go, oh, it, that's what it was about. Well, that's, and it's all right there, right in front of my face. But, you know, when you write, you don't, I don't, I, I can't even explain the process, but you don't see all these things. But what I realized it's about and what I want people to take away from it is that we are all connected, mm -hmm. so deeply connected. Because in the story, Everybody had an important role, even if it was a tiny role, 
uh, even if you were the wife of a researcher, that you kept them going because you had no other way of of, con of contributing, but at least you kept him going. Um, or, you know, uh, secre the secretary, I mean, all these unsung roles, um, they were all really important. And without the people who you never hear of doing, you know, their service, I, I even included the, these, the lab animals. Um, without their service that we tend not to want to look at, me, I almost didn't want, I almost put the book aside and said, I can't write about it because there were animals in the lab. But I realized, no, it's better to recognize their sacrifice than to pretend like they didn't, that they didn't give their lives. And it's just better to take a look at all the connections. And that's, that's how it is for life. We are so deeply connected um, and we don't even realize it. And I feel like if we did realize it, we'd be a lot more kind to each other. Absolutely. Well, this book is so interesting and it's such a, a whole bunch of women that we just need to know more about. So can you tell us and our listeners where they can find this book, where they can get it, where they can find you online so that they can get all of your other works as well? Well, thank you. Um, it's everywhere. You know, any, anywhere you buy books, independent bookstores, they're, they're waiting for you. Um, <laughs> and uh, my website is just Lincoln dot com and i'm on facebook and um instagram uh, just just google in cullen or you'll find me um and i'm i'd be glad to hear from anybody about this i'm so um in love with this subject and with dorothy i'm happy to talk with anyone about it yeah well thank you again for coming on this was so great and you know i know when I was kind of reading about this book, I kept thinking of my grandmother because she survived polio as a child. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. She was an 80 year old woman. We'd go out to the beach and she'd lift her pant legs up, like, gotta get the sunshine on my legs, you know, <laughs> still from her experience yeah. with polio as a child. So, right. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. I, and I'm so glad for these people, for people to have, to talk about their families and their relatives. Yeah. And themselves, if they had it, you know, they shouldn't be hidden anymore either. Exactly. Well, thank you again. We can't wait for our listeners to go out and buy your book. Oh, thank you. And thanks so much for having me. Of course. <laughs>